0: It's Dr. Christine Sauer here with another episode of Sparkles for Better Mental Health. And today I'm excited to have uh, Jenny Lightle on the call, a palliative hospice nurse. Jenny, I'm so excited to have you here. You're so much more than just a hospice nurse. So welcome. Well, thank you so much, Christine. I'm excited to be here. I'm very happy to have. Uh, a human being on the call that actually has experienced a lot of people in their last moments. Mm -hmm. And I think you probably derived a few uh, very interesting insights from that. And I can't wait to hear you talk about that too. But first, let me ask you, you are not doing hospice nursing anymore. Tell me why you became a hospice nurse, what made made you passionate about nursing? And what made you now transition to be a podcaster, host, book author, and all the goodness online?
1: All right. So I, um, yes, I have been a nurse for 28 years. I know it's hard to believe, but, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, so for, um, for 28 years, I've been a nurse, 16 of that has been in uh, hospice care. And I kind of got into that accidentally. I had a close friend whose dad was um a uh a man that was diagnosed with cancer and then things changed very rapidly. You know, he was going through treatment and then um he started having some. Uh, some health issues, went to the emergency room, came home on hospice with two weeks to live. And it was a very non-medical kind of family. You know, they were not at all prepared for that. And I was not familiar with hospice, but I was fairly comfortable with, you know, some medical things. And so I went and kind of stayed with them throughout that, that journey. And what I found is that, um, you know, I was kind of introduced to this world of hospice and it was, um, it was amazing, you know, I loved that that he was able to be there at home and have his you know his pain managed and and stay comfortable and and the family was able to be, you know, a part of everything and friends were able to come over and you know, he was still a smoker, and so he was able to you know go out on the porch and smoke like he normally had and do all of those normal things and um so that just really really piqued my interest in hospice and within about two months, I applied to. Um, A locally owned hospice and started working there. And then I was there for um, about 11 years. And then I really felt like I was being called in a different direction, left for a couple of years, then felt like God was kind of prompting me to go back. So I went back for (laughs) a couple of years and Um, then I've done some inpatient hospice nursing and actually I am getting ready to do just a short term, uh, just a a few weeks, uh, contract to kind of get a hospice over the hump. And, um, yeah, I just, I really, I really loved everything about end of life care, but there were some things that, you know, that after a while that, that I didn't love so much, like the being out, um, you know all hours of the night and, um, you know, weekends and holidays, because of course, you know, with, with medical things, there's not a lot of, uh, there's not a lot of downtime at all. Right. Right. So, yeah. And so then just kind of my own, my own, journey, my own struggles and kind of some of the challenges that I was facing led me into coaching and, you know, with really a focus on self-care and, and stress relief, because I saw so many people, both personally and professionally, that were really struggling with that and with burnout and just the, you know, the decrease in life satisfaction that came along with all of that.
0: Now. What do you think, why do healthcare professionals and caregivers have such a hard time taking care of their own needs? Mm.
1: Well, I think that part of it is, you know, just in the busyness of the day-to-day caregiving that they're doing, you know, so whether that's professionally, you know, if you're a doctor, a nurse, an aide, um, you know, somebody else on the, um, on a healthcare team, then then you're very busy taking care of your patients. Or if you're a caregiver, you know, caring for a loved one, maybe at home or, you know, helping take care of them at a facility, then there's so much time that goes into that and so much energy. And especially if it's something that you're not really feeling comfortable with, then it's very challenging to figure out how to Meet their needs and meet your own needs. And so, you know, it kind of is a constant thing of, well, when I get done with this, you know, or when I have time, then I'm going to take care of myself. And, you know, we know how that works out. There's never it time. Never comes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, there's never the right time. And so I really, you know, I really try to challenge the idea that self care is selfish because a lot of people kind of have that thought. And, you know, I believe that practicing self-care is the only way that we're able to really show up well and long-term for those people that we do care about.
0: Right, like if the glass that you carry is not full to the brim of overflowing, you serve from the contents of your own glass and that will burn out fast.
1: Absolutely. But if you
0: serve from the overflow and continuously fill it, Mm-hmm. enough to give for years and years and i think that's an important point by so many caregivers uh, getting burned out and, mm-hmm. and nurses and doctors do you agree with that or what do you what do you feel is the main reason that that happens more and more
1: well i, I do i believe that that plays a huge part in you know in burnout and people just deciding you know what i can't do this anymore i'm going to do something else because you know people generally get into healthcare because they have a heart to help others. And then that, that can be kind of exploited, you know, and sometimes we do that ourselves or we let it happen. And that's kind of what I did. You know, I had horrible boundaries. I found a lot of my identity in my work. And, you know, when you're, when you're helping people, especially in, in a situation like I was in where it's, you know, people who are really struggling with, you know, with all of the feelings that they have going on and, you know, all of these end of life issues. So of course, they're very grateful for someone who comes along and is able to, you know, help them through that and, and, you know, share some insights and, and be there and be really supportive. And it's very easy to, um, to let that feed your ego. And that's, that's kind of what happened, you know, I wanted to do a good job for them, but then I started putting, you know, things with myself on the back burner and and with my family as well. And when we take time to really focus on who we are and what we need and, and have those clear boundaries of, you know what, Hey, I can't, you know, I can't work 60 hours a week. Um, you know, somebody else is going to have to do this. Then sometimes that's not, that's not received real well, but it will be received well if we just i mean if we just kind of stand firm in that instead of feeling like you know i kind of felt like well somebody has to do it and so i gave of myself a little too much which led to you know some resentment and just some some total burnout you know and i think as employers and as co-workers we need to be supportive of people too and you know and really encourage our you know our coworkers our employees to practice taking care of themselves you know I mean we all know that it's important we all say oh yeah you got to take care of yourself but then when it comes down to it that's not always uh that's not always really reflected in the culture
0: <laughs> yeah you really need to take care of yourself but please work Sunday night for me <laughs> exactly right yeah. right I understand mm-hmm. and then often as physicians and I experience that myself it's hard to ask for help hmm okay. Did you experience and did you experience having co-workers
1: too? Yes, I I think that that's, you know, it's hard to, especially when we, when we keep it so quiet, you know, we kind of act like we were, we're doing everything. We don't want to be the one that's complaining. We don't want to be the one that's rocking the boat or, or that just can't do it all. And, you know, the reality is nobody can do it all. And some people are much better at, you know, at time management or at prioritizing. And so, you know, I've, I've learned since then that, you know, those are not things that, that come naturally to me. You know, I'm, I'm somebody that I can get caught up in the the little details that don't matter quite as much. <laughs> And kind of lose sight of the bigger picture, but there are people who are great at that. And so reaching out and just saying, look, I don't know, you know, I can't, I'm not being able to manage this, but it seems like other people are able to. So, and find out either, maybe they're not able to do it either, really. Um, they just, you know, hide it a little bit better, or maybe there are some tweaks that, that we can make that, um, you know, that help us to be able to do the things that we're trying to do.
0: Now, you worked a lot with patients at the end of their life, mm-hmm. or let's put it bluntly, dying people. Mm-hmm. What special challenges do the caregivers and the families and the health care professionals face when they're dealing with
1: patients at the end of their life? Okay. So, you know, there's definitely, yes, yeah, some some unique challenges when you're talking about end of life. And especially, you know, there's there's kind of two different um two different issues. So some, you know, some of the patients that I've worked with have been, you know, at home with their families being their, you know, their primary caregivers. And, and sometimes there are people who have, you know, zero medical background. They've never done anything like this before. And, you know, when hospice comes in, yes, we support and we help and we educate and, you know, really try to empower them, but they're the ones that are there the majority of the time doing the, you know, the day-to-day, hard work. And so, you know, there's definitely challenges with that, especially in people who maybe haven't felt confident in kind of their abilities period, you know, and so now we're throwing in this, you know, really emotional and, and stressful time and trying to encourage and empower them. But also there's some issues of, you know, we didn't all have happy childhoods. And so, you know, maybe they're trying to care for someone that, um, that wasn't there for them in the ways that they wanted them to be. And so there's, you know, there's all of that, that gets all mixed up in it that, you know, maybe they, they want to, they want to take care of them, but there is some resentment or some hurt or some anger left over there. And so just, you know, really helping them to understand that whatever they're feeling is okay. It's not, it doesn't make you an awful person. If you, you know, if you, still hold on to those hurts and resentments. And, you know, there's a whole care team that's able to come alongside and help, you know, address some of that and and help you try to get some sort of resolution, but also realizing that, you know, if this is something that's gone on for 50 years, we're probably not going to, you know, we're probably not going to get it all tied up with a neat little bow in, you know, in a, in a few months. So that's definitely a big issue. And then. Also with, um, you know, if it's somebody that it's either really kind of turned life upside down this whole caregiving journey, you know, and maybe it's been a a long period of time or a short period of time, um, you know, there really, there can be so many variables with that, but ultimately it's not uncommon to feel a sense of relief. When someone is getting close to passing or when they do pass and, you know, and a lot of people can really feel awful about that. You know, I, I can't believe that there's a part of me that, you know, that feels kind of glad that he's gone. But again, that's just very normal, you know, because a lot of times people who are caregiving, Um, You know, sometimes they're also working full-time jobs or maybe taking care of, you know, other people. They may be raising a family, you know, working full-time and caring for this loved one, which means sleep is probably not, um, you know, not happening the way it should. And so it's just, it's normal. And so, you know, just being really open and honest and encouraging. And that's something that I always would kind of, you know, tell my families when I was, you know, when I was working with them even if it wasn't anything that they had brought up is just, you know, hey, it just so you know, you may kind of feel a sense of relief and that doesn't, you know, that's normal. That doesn't mean anything bad um, because some people don't even want to verbalize that. But, you know, but there were times when I would have that conversation and would kind of see people visibly relax and be like, oh, okay. You know, because we don't, we just feel like there's something wrong with us when, um, when we have thoughts like that.
0: Yeah, I, I can see that. And and also when you look at the healthcare worker themselves, many of them haven't really made peace with their own death and mm-hmm. being confronted with patients dying can be really leading to a personal stressor on the one side or a transformation opportunity on the other side.
1: Have you experienced yes.
0: that yourself?
1: Yes. Um, you know, it's it's something that even as healthcare professionals, And some, you know, some in hospice and palliative, you know, end of life care and, but even more so, you know, just kind of healthcare professionals as a whole, we're not all prepared for death and dying and, you know, it's especially in, and I see this more at least in the US, I see this more with physicians in general. And of course, you know, there's, there's exceptions to everything, but I mean, you spend so much time learning how to save people and to fix things. And, um, you know, I know that there are so many physicians that I've talked to that, that really almost see it as kind of a, like a personal failure and, um, you know, it's, it's okay. Well, you know, there's, there's nothing that can be done. And, or, or they'll see it as giving up, you know, and some families will, will see it that way too. And, and it's, yes, it can be seen as that, but, you know, kind of reframing that it's just a refocusing on the priorities and what is it that you want most at this point, you know, and there's some people who will never be ready for hospice care. You know, I mean, they want to, they want to continue to fight and do everything as aggressively as they can until their very last breath. You know, regardless of what that what that means of, you know, how weak they get, how, you know, and and that's and that's absolutely fine. You know, I mean, that's their choice. But there's also nothing wrong with saying, you know what? Hey, I don't either I'm tired of fighting this or I don't want to fight this. You know, I mean, if they get a diagnosis that, you know, okay, if, you know, if we don't do anything, then it's going to end up in your death, you know, or if we, you know, maybe you have a a good chance of survival but maybe that's something you know you just don't want to go through the treatment or you know it's just not worth it to you to do that you know and you want to focus on quality versus quantity and again that's all that's all fine that's all you know those are all very personal decisions with you know that that patients and families need to make and they're not easy decisions by any means but but just you know understanding that you don't have to do everything um but you can do everything if that's if that's what you want to do you know and i think sometimes just having that permission to understand that um you know just because maybe certain choices are being presented to you doesn't mean that you have to accept them and um you know and, and families being able to have that that conversation too yeah
0: and and journey that is that is a wonderful thing and uh, i think and i sense it from you that uh being there for those who at the end of their life and their families Mm -hmm. uh, at least for me it brought me a deeper appreciation for life and the Mm -hmm. beauty that we can have and the importance to use the little sparkles as i like to call it that we all have because our time is numbered our sparkles our days are numbered (laughs) nobody knows how many we have right and I know that I think the, what you're doing now uh, has blossomed out of this experience. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing
1: now. Sure, sure. So now I work primarily with um, mostly with women. Um, I, I love men, have nothing against them. You know, I'm not opposed to working with men, but just, you know, women are kind of who um who gravitate toward me. And, um, so women and caregivers who are just really kind of, you know, struggling with that finding fitting in self-care or feeling like, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm going to get to that someday or feeling selfish with that. And so I feel like women in general, um, and again, these are generalities, but women are often seen as caretakers in one way or 20. (laughs) And then, you know, especially women who are in a, you know, in official caregiving role. And then, you know, I happen to be a woman of faith as well. And when you add that in on top of it, that adds kind of an extra layer because there's, you know, we feel, we can feel like, well, you know, I'm supposed to be, you know, serving all of these people. I'm supposed to be helping all of them. And I absolutely believe that that's true. But again, you can only do that for so long if you're not taking care of yourself. And so it's not about being selfish. It's not about, you know, taking care of yourself and just completely ignoring everybody else. It's, you know, I I believe that it can be a way that you can give more freely of yourself when you have that full cup, you know, it's the, it's the oxygen mask on the airplane thing. You've got to put that on before you can take care of other people. And, and helping people to, um, to come up with a personalized plan for that, because that's very, that looks very different. You know, our, what we do for self-care, you know, I mean, just you and I, Christine is probably very different from each other and, and not a thing wrong with that. And and
0: everybody does different. So tell me a little bit about that. What are the tools that are in your
1: self-care toolbox? Yes. So I, I, the first thing is being still. Um, and that doesn't have to be a, you know, a, an hour-long meditation session, but just slowing down, you know, even closing your eyes. Just taking sometimes in the bathroom if that's the only place that you can get, um, you know, get a little bit of quiet time <laughs> and uninterrupted time. But just, you know, just kind of just sitting there and just closing your eyes and taking a few deep breaths and, and just asking yourself, you know, what do I need right now? And that's, I have these two questions that are, um, that are here on my, um, here beside me on my desk, that when I start getting kind of stressed out and overwhelmed, you know, or I'm trying to make a decision and I feel like I've got 20 things to do at once, then I'll ask myself, you know, first of all, is this what's moving me? Is this moving me closer to my goals? And sometimes the answer will be yes and sometimes no. Um, but then it's, what do I need most right now? And sometimes that may be, um, you know, to go for a walk or to, um, you know, take a nap or maybe get, get something to eat, you know, if I haven't been eating, but, you know, just those, those little check-ins with ourselves, because we can get so busy in doing the next thing, the next thing, the next thing that we don't, um, that we don't take time to think, okay, what is it that I, that I really need? And and that looks different in different seasons too. You know, I mean, if you're a caregiver and you're, you know, you're taking care of someone who is completely dependent on you, or, you know, if you're a parent with small children, then yes, you can't just leave the kids at home and go out on a drive if that's what you need to do. But, you know, maybe you can make sure that they're safe and, um, you know, and go in the other room or go out on the porch for a minute, you know, where you can see them, but you can just kind of get a little bit of a fresh air and a little bit of um, breathing room of your own. Um, Or, you know, maybe take the kids for a walk, if that's something that, that you need. So, you know, figuring out what it is that you really need the most, and then how can you, uh, how can you fit that into your life? And, you know, it may need to be, it may, it may be that you need to ask somebody for help. And I know, uh, I know for some of us, that is so hard (laughs) and, you know, and we have a lot of friends maybe that will say things like, oh, you know, well, if you need anything, let me know. And, and there's some of them who are just saying that because, you know, that's what we say. That's like, we all say we're fine when somebody asks, how are you doing? Um, But there's a lot of them who really do want to help. They just don't know how. And so, you know, maybe, maybe asking one of them, Hey, you know, could you, you know, could you maybe come over for an hour or maybe could you, you know, help me do my dishes? I mean, it can be very practical things. You know, I I say self-care is not, it's not all about spa days and beach vacations, um, which are wonderful, but it's so much more than that. And it's so much less than that at the same time, you know, it's very, simple things like, you know, making sure that you're eating, prioritizing your rest, um, you know, figuring out what it is that you're doing for yourself, you know, emotionally and spiritually to replenish yourself because you can't just give, give, give and not do anything to pour back into yourself.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely true. So you have a method that you call the becoming method. What does it mean?
1: Yes. So the becoming method is basically it's a, um, it's an acronym that I've, that I've come up with because my, my company is becoming, um, becoming your best with Jenny Lytle RN. And because I believe that becoming is such a process, you know, I mean, we're always on this journey to become ourselves. So the becoming method, it really each letter stands for a particular thing, but basically it's, um, it's kind of using the nursing process, um, And combining it into a way to look at, you know, where are you now? Where do you want to go? And then how are you going to get there? And so it's just a way to, um, it's a way to make things a little simpler, and just kind of have a flexible framework so that when you're, you know, when you're looking at designing your own self care program, um, you know, something that's going to be Um, really good for you or, you know, or making bigger decisions in life too, then it's, it's a way to be able to do that. And that's something that I I kind of walk people through in my, uh, in my new guide that's available um, on my website. And it's just a free resource that helps people to be able to kind of work through those things, um, you know, to see where they are, where they want to go and how they're going to get there.
0: Now, that's wonderful, Jenny. And I will make sure that not just in the video, but in all the podcast uh, notes and so on, that link is included. So before we wrap up, uh, let us know in one sentence something that you want to tell the listeners before they log off. And then please share how they can find you if that's what they want.
1: Okay, wonderful. So one thing to share. Um, So I would say that is... um, take time to check in with yourself and it doesn't have to be a long time set aside the shoulds and the way that you think you need to take care of yourself and just, just figure out what you really need and then do that first step. Um, as far as reaching out to me, so my website is Jennylidle.com and that's J E N N Y L Y T L E.com. And to get my, um, seven days to less stress guide. Um, It is Jenny slash guide. And you can go on and get that and, um, and work through it. And definitely, you know, if you have any questions or any uh, insights, I would love to hear about them. So feel free to, uh, to reach out to me and let me know if you do.
0: Absolutely. I recommend that guide. I looked on your website as a big button start here. So click on that and you'll get the guide. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Thank you. I love that. Thank you very much, Jenny, for being on the show. It was a pleasure to have you as a guest. Of course, we could talk for hours and hours and hours and maybe some other time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye, Christine. So that was another episode of Sparkles for Better Mental Health. Make sure to tune in for the next episode. Bye-bye.